0: Hello and welcome back to the Jordan High 2004 podcast. This is Steve, and this is Gonzo. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we're gonna get right to it. We are gonna have an awesome conversation with Hamza, and uh, really looking forward to this one.
1: Yeah, we're just gonna go straight to it, just like in our old episodes. No, no chit chat at the front.
0: Here You're is welcome. our yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, maybe just a little chit chat. I've noticed some episodes people skip the first two minutes. <laughs> we see all that stuff. Yeah. yeah so. But I know we'll we'll let you. You won't hear about like if I stub my toe or something. We're just going straight to Humza today.
0: <laughs> here he is,
1: Humza.
2: Thanks, Jen. Glad to, glad to be here.
1: Oh, thanks for thanks for coming on. You were one of those people that I mean we weren't. We, we knew each other. We said hi or things yeah. like that. But we weren't, like, friends. I think I went to your house one time. Uh,
2: yeah, I think you stopped by one time. I know that Steve and I worked together in student government uh, throughout. And then we – but I would say that we were always cordial. Yeah, uh, and There was no, like, animosity. But it's not like we were ever, like, calling each other on weekends either. I no, think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have any beef. Just, like, I guess yeah.
1: – so I got
2: I got nothing. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm looking for
1: in you know, one person. This is this isn't the episode. But no, no I, beef teas. But I did have you know when I've always wondered about you. Like it's like I wonder how he's doing, and then I've also thought like, and I mean we'll get to talk about it if you're mm. comfortable. But I always thought like he like Hamza was always pretty like a devoted Muslim, like say mm. his prayers and things like that. And then I always wondered like being muslim is it hard in utah like was it like hard growing up like so then i did have those questions and then especially yeah. like you know we went to high school like sophomore year 911 happened and i was like wondering like oh did he did humza ever get any hate on like about that and things like that but
2: so yeah i mean we can we can jump into that now if we want to get into it, uh, I feel completely comfortable or we can do the chronological order of where I'm at. Yeah. Currently. Do you want
1: to catch us up? Let's catch up a little
2: bit first. So tell okay. us what you've been up to. So I'll start with right after high school. So after graduation, I've pretty much been a professional student up until these past five years, five and a half years. So after, after high school, <clears throat> got my undergrad, then did a dual master's and then did went to med school. And then the last five years, I got married. I have a son that's about to be two years old. Uh, I live out in a city called Danville, California, which is without traffic, about 35 minutes away from San Francisco. And, and I work for a company. I'm not sure if how closely you guys followed the pandemic right when it started, but there was a company called Gilead Biosciences or Gilead Pharmaceuticals uh, out here in California. They were the company that created... Remdesivir, that first that first drug that kind of hit in April, April May of last year, and so this past year of my life was, it wasn't anything like the frontline healthcare workers where they were there in the hospital or whatnot. I was on the opposite end, so I was getting all the data analytics with essentially the entire company to make this drug work. So, um, just to go in a little offshoot about it, so typically I would get data. I would help run clinical trials so what i do now is i manage the entire portfolio for gilead's virology drugs so that includes hiv wow. drugs emerging viruses it's myself and my boss that's above me much smarter human than i am but she's fantastic <laughs> um but we manage all of the drugs that are trying to get from an idea to market and so uh last year that all got put on hope. So we were getting data from Wuhan. We were getting data from Beijing, Shanghai, Thailand. Literally emails from physicians being like, I have a patient, 25 years old, XYZ. These are their symptoms. Can this drug work? Boom, email. We were getting them at all throughout the night. Wow. Um, so that was the last year for me and trying to deal with a toddler. But that's kind of where I'm at now. Things are obviously a lot more stable, much more calm. Were you staying so, so stay home during that time or were you going into the office? I was in and out. It was mainly dependent upon who and what was needed of me at that point. Um, and when I say that, like, I was, you know, helping with that, there's hundreds of people that are doing the same thing, right? Like, it wasn't just me. I, I don't I ever want to come off that way. Like, it was a group effort, but it was just... It was one of those situations where I think my parents actually finally knew what I did for a living. They're just like, oh, your company's from the news. I was like, yeah. This is, this is, this is it is. They're like, oh, so all that schooling didn't go to waste. I was like, yeah, it didn't go to waste. So that that was kind of fun to think about. But yeah, now, I mean, I've been living in the Bay Area for five years. Um, I moved here when I got married. My wife, was our she was born in London, but she grew up here, essentially. She moved here when she was six. So that brought me out here and I've stayed out here. But prior, after high school, I lived in Vegas. I lived in West Africa. I lived in uh, the Caribbean for a little bit um, and tangentially touch base in other cities in the U.S. So I left Utah when I was 24. I'm 35 now. So I haven't been in like Utah hasn't been home for the last 11 years, um, but I'm pretty well settled here now. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at now. Uh, to give a quick update. Okay.
1: Are your parents still out here, or?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents still are on uh Sega Lily. Uh, I'm actually coming to Salt Lake on July 17th, uh, mm-hmm. to visit them, staying for a week. And I, I try to get back to Utah about three to four times a year, just to you know, I, I place still has a special place in my heart. So it's it's been good. Can't complain.
0: that will be good. I, I'm glad to hear that you still come back to Utah and just and. I don't know. I really like Utah. When we lived away, it was always nice to come back and visit. Right,
1: right. And um, it's cool to hear like you've been around the block and that you're like doing something actually really like <laughs> worthwhile with your life. So
2: it's like <laughs> that's pretty cool. Well, I, I mean, I think I think I was just I've been placed and have ha- been blessed to have a lot of good mentors and people that have put me in positions to be doing something quote-unquote worthwhile, I think. Um, when we get into the passionate part of the podcast, I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper into it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's just really lucky. You know, right place, right time, I kept my head down. But it's it's worked out thus far now just trying to figure out what you guys do as far as, like, raising kids. I'm at, the, like, the, the, beginning <laughs> the beginning. I have a, that wrecking ball of a two-year-old just <laughs> destroying me. We when, don't know anything
1: else. We don't have any tricks. It's just like <laughs> just be there, I yes. guess. Keep them alive.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. At I love what it. point in your uh, in your studies did you decide I want to go into virology? That part actually came when I started learning about HIV. That's
2: one of my big passions now. Is I want to be on the team that cures HIV. Like that's what I've spent the last five years of my professional career working with doing is because it came around in the '80s, right? The early '90s is when it started. Like Magic Johnson was that big first um, celebrity where everyone's like, "Oh, maybe it doesn't." It had that stigma, right? It still yeah. has somewhat of a stigma, but not as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I feel like we're we're knocking on the door. I, I feel very confident in saying that we're knocking on the door and. I so to answer your question, Steve, is that when I started learning about it, I was like, in a scientific, dork, nerdy kind of way, this virus is incredible. Like, take away all of the the stuff it does to humans and how bad it is and the amount of people that have suffered from it. I'm saying just as a scientific marvel, this thing can mutate and change complexions faster than anything we've ever seen in this world. And it's Mm. phenomenal to watch. And so when I started learning about it, I was like, how the hell do you cure something like this? And that kind of led one step to another to another. And my first boss at Gilead, uh, she put me on our HIV cure program. She's like, I think you'd be really good at it. Why don't you give it a chance? And ever since then, I've just made sure I stick with it. You know, like I try to learn about every other facet that we do, but that's kind of the core as to where I'm at.
0: That's awesome. Good for you.
2: We'll see. Like I said, I'm relying on a lot of people that are much smarter than I am. I just want to be able to
0: fly on the ball. And be like, Hi, I'm here. Tell me <laughs> out. Tell me well, out. I can take notes. Whatever you guys need me to do. That's really cool that you're going to be at the forefront of that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Down with HIV. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, sorry to jump ahead a little bit. No, but yeah. Right. Right. I'm That's glad you, to to hear how you're doing. And Danville is a really awesome place. Um, it's fantastic. I've been able to visit a few times. I, I love it out Weird. there. Yeah, I had a, one of my mission companions was from Danville. Okay, like five people from Northern California, so I thought I was going to live there. Maybe <laughs> one day. Um, well, anyway, this is not about me. It's about you. How? Tell us how you um, how you saw yourself in high school. Who was Hamza? So
2: when I so when I first started listening to some of the episodes, like it started. You know, you go back down memory lane, start thinking a little bit nostalgic and then started to go a little bit deeper, at least that's what I did. I was the brown kid, right? Like I was the brown Muslim kid. And when I say that, it's not like in a bad way. It's just kind of who I was. Um, One of the anecdotes that I use, I got from my brother. They're like, oh, you're from Utah. You must have been surrounded by a lot of LDS people. I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of what the state's known for, which is fine. And they're like, how'd you feel? I was like, you know, Cocoa Puffs? I felt like the last Cocoa Puff in a bowl of milk. Like that's what, <laughs> right? Like, and that's not a bad thing. It's just what it was. Like I remember a uh, senior year, we got demographic information about our school and what well, we had about 2,300 kids total, mm-hmm. approximately about 713 in our class. With that being said, The number that I remember seeing was 97% identified themselves as Caucasian and 3% considered themselves non-white, non-Caucasian. So that put in Hispanics, Latinos, Blacks, uh, Pacific Islander, Asian, and then the other category. So the funny part is, is now I'm considered Asian because I always should have been considered Asian American, but in that realm i was considered other so of the 97 percent, i was part of a three percent that was smaller than that three percent so i think Mm -hmm. like seventh and eighth grade you know i felt fine it was okay ninth grade was fine like no issues and then gonzo you brought it up right two weeks into sophomore year into your high school tenure boom our literally our lives change Mm -hmm. i think everyone remembers that moment where they were what they were doing I think a majority of us were probably walking into first period. Yeah. Yep. I was walking into Miss Frost's class with David Timson and, and Simeon and had just like, he went to his class. I went to my class and I walked in and I remember watching the second plane go through. And what happened in my head was my brother was actually in the Pentagon at that moment during 9-11. He was at an internship in DC. And then when they said a plane hit the Pentagon, my mind immediately went to that because I was like, I hope my brother's okay, right? Like, you know, everyone's kind of scrambling, trying to figure out what's going on. <clears throat> but then you start realizing the horrors and everything that happened. Um, and I think as a Muslim American kid, primarily a first-generation Muslim American kid, you, you kind of don't know how to feel, right? Like the next week, week and a half you start getting looks, you start getting like comments. Like I remember walking in the hall and be like, Oh, did your uncle really do that? Like, is that, uh, is that what your religion practices? Oh, oh, are you sure you're not a terrorist? Like, you know, kids are being kids. Like I'm not forgiving for it, but it's, I, I was naive to think that that wouldn't happen. And on top of that, I was already that different kid. And I put different in quotes for, uh, since this is a, obviously a podcast that you <laughs> yeah. can't see the quotes, um, in the sense that obviously my skin color puts me out in a different way, but also my religion put me out in a different way, right? Like, even if you are a person of color, a majority of them did identify with the LDS church. But if I didn't identify as an LDS church, I didn't have that community. Like, I didn't go to church with my classmates, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. I went to mosque with people from various parts because there wasn't that large of a Muslim population.
1: You are an outsider in in like in two different facets, you know, it's like a double outsider.
2: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So like, I remember, I can't remember whose podcast it was, that you all did. And they said, you know, we kind of grew up in a bubble. Like I felt like I was on the outside of that bubble to begin with kind of looking in. So when that happened, it was like, okay, so there's no sense of like classmates are also my people that I share faith with. But it's not like my name was the easiest to pronounce, right? Like yeah. every, every day I would dread at the first day of school, I would dread a substitute teacher. I'd be like, here we go. What, what are they going to come up with here? Are they going to say Humaz, Hamza, Humza? Like it was already out there. So going back to when 9-11 hit sophomore year, the next month, month and a half, I had FBI agents at the mosque every Friday. Um, there were, Plainclothes FBI officers asking us about sleeper cells. I had, wow. I had federal agents show up to my door, asking wow. why why is your son in Washington D.C. Did he wow. have anything to wow. do with with the with the attacks? And it's not like they just knew that he was in D.C. They had everything, socials, backgrounds, where we went to school, education, where my parents were, where my grandparents were, like. When they say the government knows, the government knew everything. (laughs) So that part kind of, you know, you start trying to find yourself. And uh, I think, uh, Gonzo, you've mentioned a few times that, like, you enjoy speaking about politics, right? Like, for me, I had to learn about politics sophomore year for multiple reasons. One was my brother already had, like, an interest. My sister already had an interest. But I needed to know what was happening right? Like, I need to know what the Patriot Act was. What did it yeah. entail? I need to know where I stood. With all of that being said, I had a phenomenal support system at school. I had people that, aside from those side comments, aside from, you know, I remember one time in, um, we were playing Cottonwood sophomore basketball. I had a, I was, Ryan Borgmeyer was at the top. He swung the pass over to me on the left side and I had a shot. I missed a shot. I really wish I hit that shot, but I missed that shot. And one kid behind me yells, he goes, it was nice shot, Osama. And I was, I turned around, it was a brown kid. And I was like, what in the hell? Why is a brown kid killing me? And, and it's just kind of like, okay, this is how people are fitting in. This is how, you know, you, as a person of color in that situation, you kind of had to make a decision as to how you were going to go. You could also kind of align yourself one way, or you could be, just a better person and so to speak with that all all being said and aside from those comments like it put me in a position to really choose how i wanted to make myself look uh, both inwardly and outwardly moving forward right just because it was sophomore year
1: do you feel like you had to you represented like all of muslim community essentially Uh, absolutely because i you were pretty much the only Muslim person that everyone in our high school and in our middle school ever came in contact with. Mm-hmm. Do that, yeah. And and that's a lot of pressure, right? Because <laughs> if you're like a jerk, then everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, well, you know, it's all
2: Muslims, you know." <laughs> no, no, and it's 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 interesting that you bring that up because that is how I felt. Not because someone put that pressure on me, but. For me it was like, how many other Hamzas did you know before myself, right? Have you come across with? And my thing was after all of that happened, mentally I was like, I need to put myself in a position where people don't connect that, that being nine eleven, to what true yeah. the practice of the faith is. Because I think and as a teenager, right? Like I I've come to this realization a lot later in life, but I'm saying as a teenager, I was like, I don't want anyone to have a bad experience with me because I don't want them to think that all Muslims are that way. Yeah. And so I think that also propelled me to actually like, you know, run for a junior class in a way, just because I was like, one, I don't think that we had many people of color on much of student government. Correct me if I'm wrong, Steve. I, I, I'm genuinely, I can't, I, I can't. I...
0: Just I know. think you're right. Yeah. And
2: so, and so like, you know, when, so when, not only are you, so sophomore year in that sense was tough just because I was really trying to figure out who I was, how I was just like any 15 year old, right? Like yeah, you, I'm sure had your ins and outs and, you know, thoughts. And for me, I was just like, okay, if I put myself out there in that way, it puts you in a very vulnerable situation right like i don't think i've ever really hid my religion like i fasted i I prayed like i tried to do it not kind of in your face type of way but i did it on my own time and in my own methods but i was never the person to be like no that's not who i am like i didn't celebrate christmas so i was the kid that didn't understand the concept of santa when i was in elementary school It's like what is this like why is an an old man coming down chimney leaving gifts and why don't why am I not having milk and cookies like you know all those types of things like I didn't have that growing up which is fine but going I digress going back to running for junior class officer I remember I put up some posters right like you have to put up the posters with your face and whatnot and I was walking out in the halls and two kids are like oh they're they're letting the terrorists run and I was just like dang hey and when I say these experiences, I, I want to reiterate that they were few and far between. And this was not the norm, but it did happen. And I can't say that I'm the only one that it's happened to. I'm sure it happened to others.
1: Yeah.
2: And so like, I went home that day and I was just like, this was the week of the election. And I was like, do I run still? Like, Do I still do this? Because it's like, clearly, I this is the perception that I am to certain people. But I was like, no, it's too late. You know, I'm I'm going to do it. So I ran, and I was, you know, lucky enough to win. Had a great year, junior year, and then I I, I can't remember whose pod it was. But I'm sorry that the prom was at the Union. I'm sorry that you got lost. <laughs> <laughs> Here's that was my favorite thing. Ever. <laughs> I'm sorry you got lost, but um, <laughs> but even with that being said, right, like going back to being a muslim kid in a predominantly lds school it was also like you know i didn't go to many dances i went to four dances my entire yeah, life
1: i wanted to ask you about dating and about not only dances but even like i, I don't i know that like it's having a girlfriend or things like that it, it's kind of like i know muslim and lds are kind of similar where like it's yeah. like you know, it's like sexuality is like yes. a big taboo.
2: Yeah, it's like, 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 like it just, yeah,
1: the, 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 the less the better. Yeah. So right.
2: Popular, essentially. Right. Like you, you keep your distance. Exactly. Yeah, in a way. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I went to four dances. One of them was junior prom with Mandy Williams, who I still haven't forgiven how the way she responded to me. I'll get to that in a second. Oh, um, <laughs> No, I, I love <laughs> Mandy's Mandy, fantastic. Um, but, um, and then the other three dances were Color Wars with Megan Gorge, Sweethearts with Ashley Bergens, and Shars with Megan Robinson. So three of the four were Girls' Choice Dances. I only, I was only given permission by my parents to ask one dance, and that was because I was a junior class officer. Every other one, we did like a be like, you can't be the guy that says no. Because, right, you want to go yeah, hang with your friends, yeah. you want to go out. like it's. Uh, but, like, senior prom, I was playing basketball like, pick up basketball with, like, a bunch of guys that didn't go. But, you know, like, the dating part and, like, I'd never had a girlfriend. I never had and like, I just, I didn't do that in high school. Like, that that wasn't me. Like, I went to school, did student government stuff, went to practice, studied, came home, and that was it. Like, it wasn't, you know, I, I was very lucky to have good friends that can be grounded, that can be in the right positions and put me in like the good mental spaces, right? I feel that one thing like senior year that I tried to really establish when I was elected as uh, part of the student body officers was to be kind of that that bridgeway to the kids that didn't really understand their space or their their area or their fit in the school, like especially the sophomores. Um, juniors and seniors, you kind of know where you are. But sophomores mm-hmm. walking in, you're kind of wide eyed and like, where do I go? Mm-hmm. That was kind of something I mentally tried to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I did, but that's something I tried.
1: Obviously, you had the weight of your religion and your culture on your mm-hmm. shoulders as a representative.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You felt like you were, you know, it's like pretty strict parents. So you were limited on like dating and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, right. And then also, like on, in your head, you were you kind of had like some Muslim hate, like yeah. not much. You're saying it's minimal, but it hurts nonetheless. Every time you yeah. hear it, it's just right. like, right. I mean, and and I mean, I'm white, but like mm-hmm. even when I hear Hispanic hate or when I'm like, it hurts, yeah. you know, it, yeah. or Absolutely. like anti-immigrant rhetoric, rhetoric, right. it, that stuff hurts. And even if it's like fewer and far in between, right so you had that how else do you think you saw yourself
2: like um um, so i think with all of that like serious stuff i thought of myself as a fairly inclusive person um i think i can remember memories with a lot of different groups of people not necessarily the groups of people that would intermingle on weekends or whatnot but like i remember memories with like people of that were part of like the football team and the basketball team with like Adam Todd, Philip Loa Austin Robinson. Austin Robinson has a good story. I'll tell you that in a minute. Mm-hmm. That cool, um, but like those guys, those guys there. Then um, you know, I had memories with Jerem Gunderson is one of, still one of my good friends. Like I talked to him every day. Um, yeah, you guys did and, lacrosse right together. Yeah, we did lacrosse together. We went through a lot of stuff. Him, Ray Coleman, and then uh, Andy Simeonas. A brother to me like I've and that was that's also a very interesting relationship just because he's a devout LDS uh, member but we come from a very similar background and we got to know each other well but like you know I know his kids he knows my son like he's someone I talk to on a daily basis him and Davis are two guys that I do and Danny Stocking's another one that kind of kept provided a good perspective for me throughout so I think I tried to be inclusive in that sense because I have felt being excluded, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, again, I don't know if I accomplished any of that. I hope I did. But that was kind of the way I saw myself and tried to carry that in how I interacted with people. Um, I, d- I hope people didn't have a bad interaction with me. I mean, if they did, I'm sorry. But I hope people never really been like, yeah, that kid didn't really like that guy. <laughs> um, but overall, like it was it was interesting in that sense. Um the other thing for me, I think, was there was a fair amount of teachers that kind of came and they're like, Oh, we didn't expect kids like you or kids that look like you to be in our AP classes. And I was like, Dang what did you- I was like, what did you expect in that moment? Right. Like, hmm. and that I, I, and you know Gonza, Gonzo you mentioned that, like, you know, that, that weight of being that representative for me, I was a one thing that I think I've learned from is that I was like high school's four years, you know, counting ninth grade, get through high school, go to college. Like I had a very hard time staying in that moment. And I think that's something that I've, Subsequently tried to change and I felt like I started changing that senior year of high school and then <laughs> through college and whatnot. Like my wife has been instrumental in making me stay in the moment. Uh, but it was a very linear mindset that I had. But I also going back to wanting that that expectation. I wanted to prove that I did kind of go into these AP classes, student government, whatnot with a chip on my shoulder that yeah. Kids yeah. of color, Muslim some kids can't do this, right? Like I, I went in with that. And that was just my own expectations of myself to be completely clear and transparent, I guess.
0: Well, it sounds like you you were having these kinds of comments from peers, like other kids in our class. You are having it from competition at sporting events. You were having it from faculty, even. Yeah. And it's just interesting because as this white LDS guy that didn't go through these types of things, it's just interesting to see how ignorant we could really be. It's kind of like, if you don't see it, you don't know it even happens or, you know, or maybe you do see it and you're one of the ones that makes these comments. Cause I, that kind of stuff never crossed my mind. And it's funny you say that the teachers would say that because having gone through undergrad and then through dental schools, like half the kids in there were Muslim and like, they're all very smart and they're like the hardest competition that I had. And I had like a super close partner where he taught me a lot about Islam Mm -hmm. and just grew my respect like crazy of how just awesome, just awesome. And so hearing your experiences, you keep stopping and saying, like, I think you guys have questions. Like, I'm just fascinated. I could listen to you all night <laughs> because there are thi- you don't know what you don't know. And I love right. hearing about the experiences. And I hopefully everyone hears this and we can teach our kids, hey, be inclusive. Like, I love that you, you had this goal of being inclusive because you knew what it was like to feel excluded. Yeah, you, right. You know what it was like to not be involved in a lot of these, you know, social norms that you kind of go through high school and do these things. You weren't doing a lot of them, and right? I I love that you actively tried to be that person so other people didn't feel that way.
2: Yeah, I I think that I mean I think that's a testament one to my parents and like how they kind of, I mean they were first generation immigrants, right? Like they came over similar to yours, Gonzo, in the sense that like you really don't know anyone here. You're kind of figuring it out. And so for them, inclusion was a very big thing. And then the second part, I think is life is just more fun with people that have different perspectives, yeah, 100%. right? Whether that, and that doesn't mean that it, it, you have to be of a different religion, a different race, but just a different walk of life. Like life is just more fun that way. Um, I think you, you learn a lot more. Like I learned, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned from high school now that I've gotten into like professional life and whatnot is, I'll give the example of my wife. My wife grew up in the Bay. She grew up in Danville and there's enough clusters and enough quote unquote diversity where you could kind of stick with your own. If that makes sense. Like the white kids would stick with the white kids, Hispanic kids would stick with the Hispanic kids, brown kids would stick with the brown kids, like the Indian Pakistani kids. That, that, that luxury is there because so you can kind of be with like-minded, like-cultural people. I didn't have that. I know, I'm sure a lot of kids didn't have that, right? But that taught me to be more open-minded and more understanding at a younger age than I realized. Because in order for me to make friends, in order for me to feel included and to find people, I had to step out of my comfort zone. Just to have, like you said, Steve, very well put, the the social norms, to have friends, to have sleepovers, to go to games, whatever it may be, to go to D's at, like, 2 a.m. and eat cheese fries. Like, we, you you needed to break those social norms to be like, yeah, this person may not look like me, but we're both 16. We both just got our car. Like, we just want to eat cheese fries and figure out if he's going to ask that girl on a date because I can't. So, like,
1: Hamza <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us, who are you now? What, what's changed from, from that kid mm-hmm. to today Who, as a man who, how do you see yourself? What is
2: different? I think for me, a couple things are different. One is I think I've learned to stay in the moment a little bit more and appreciate that time that's happening. Like looking back, like, I, I had a great high school experience. I can't say that I had a negative high school experience. I know I've said a lot of, you know, things that could be perceived as a negative, but overall, like, it was a very good high school experiences. I have good friends from high school, middle school. On top of that, I and so I'm, because of that, I feel that it's been very helpful to be able to stay in the moment, to have those times like, hey, tomorrow's not... Tomorrow's still far enough away. Enjoy this day for what it is. Um and the reason I say that is like I like I said, I had a very linear mindset. Right? Like I was gonna go to high school, I was gonna go to college, boom, 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 get married, da da da. da. Exactly. Like that was the way it is. <laughs> but I don't know if you guys have seen that like graph of like life goes like this, <laughs> but it actually goes in like these crazy yeah. cues, mm-hmm. the and you end up at the same place that you hoped to end up, but all that thing in between <laughs> is what happened. I think my wife has been very instrumental in that. She's like, you need to slow yourself down, appreciate what we have. Uh, not to say that I was ungrateful, but you know what I mean? Like not yeah. be so You quick. said
0: that a couple of times that she's helped you to learn to live mm-hmm. in the moment. Can you give like an example of um, how she's helped you to yeah. learn that?
2: Yeah, I think the first example that comes to mind was our first date. Um, my first date with her was at Berkeley, um, at Cal Berkeley's. Campus, like we went to dinner there and whatnot, and we were walking and I was there visiting my brother and I had his car and I was just like, I gotta get back in my head. I was like, I gotta get back. I gotta get his car to him. Like I was just like revving myself up for no, no bloody reason. There's really no reason for me to do that. (laughs) And she's like, like, are you not having like a good time? Like what's happening here? And I was like, no, I just got, I just feel like I have to get back and whatnot. She goes, but why? And then it kind of just kind of like hit me and I was like, yeah, she's right. Like, what do I have to get back to? Like, she's the most important thing to me right at the, in this very moment. And this is the first time I'm meeting her after I met her through an Islamic survey, which was absolutely hilarious. Like a person in California connected a person in New York who connected me and I ended up meeting her. So it was a very like six degrees of separation. So I was like, I haven't, I've never met you. I've only spoken on the phone with you. This is the most important thing in in my life at the moment. And I'm glad I took that initiative or else, you know, probably wouldn't have gone on a second date or gotten married. So yeah. like, it's um, and so her, her, one of her best qualities amongst a lot of other qualities is that she brings that perspective and then like, you know, being, being lucky enough to be a dad now like he does the same thing obviously he doesn't know he's doing it but like when we go for walks he like stops and just like starts picking grass or picks a rock and tries to put it in his mouth and I was like this is absolutely amazing (laughs) you you, Ben, you you go you keep going but like it it just kind of makes me pause and just like these moments are the moments that you're not gonna get back and I've tried to live my life a lot more that way than trying to get to that next step, or that next day, or that next meeting, like um, yeah, exactly. That rat race, hundred percent correct. So I think that's kind of where I am now in that perspective. Um I still think I try to be inclusive because I've lived in different parts of the world. I it kind of brought me the lessons that I learned in high school about being inclusive and being that different. Different from everyone else, but yet trying to be that connector. I think that's still a part of who I am and a part of the fabric of who I am. Other than that, I, I feel pretty much the same, just, you know, a little less hair. Probably have more hair on my face now. It's um, just moved. It's
1: just moved down. <laughs> <laughs> it's just moved down. <laughs> it's just moved down. Um, Do you still yeah. feel that pressure to represent the Muslim community?
2: I think for me, it's not as much. I do think there is that pressure, but, and the reason I still think that there's that pressure, anytime, anytime you picture a brown person or a person of Muslim faith, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's conditioned or non conditioned, you think that person has some sort of, I'm not, when I say you, I mean the collective you, not yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you. yeah. just make sure that's clear. No, you're good. The, the collective you is, that person may be a terrorist, right? Like media, TV, news. The fact that there's a verb in the dictionary that's called Islamophobia, I don't see Catholic phobia, LDS phobia, Jewish phobia, like that no other religion has that attached to them. Yeah. And so in that sense, I do feel that expectation. Um, I was actually reading the other day and there was a proverb that came across that. Everybody's going to have a last day with you. And I I took a step back to kind of really think about what that meant to me. And it's like that person in the grocery stores, that's their only interaction they're ever going to have with me. Or that cashier, that waiter or waitress, the flight attendant, that's the only interaction that they're going to have with me or my colleague. Like someone is always going to have that last day. So how am I representing myself, my faith, my, my family? Like how am I representing myself truly matters? Um, so yeah, I do. It's not as deep. I don't think it's not as deep as anymore, but it's definitely
0: there. I love that perspective. I think that if people thought in that way that their, their actions and their behavior would change a ton, I think people would be a lot nicer, a lot more understanding, probably.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I, I absolutely agree with you.
1: That most people don't feel like they have to represent their whole community. Yeah. You know, it's just like, you can be a Karen today and then like then tomorrow you can be totally nice and it's just like it's not like that person's gonna be like man all white ladies suck
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i mean i I think it's i think it's um uh, one thing that i took away about that was from bonnie's podcast actually when she mentioned that ever since one of the best things about the pandemic is that it forced a lot of people to be a lot more introspective about the way they speak about race, religion, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bonnie mentioned something. She goes there. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. So yeah. apologies, Bonnie. No, I, I misquote this. But she said something to the effect that the way we interact doesn't always – we don't realize who we're hurting with the way we're interacting. Yeah. Um And she said, that's something I believe that she started to realize. Yeah. She's like, I'm not, it's like, I
1: don't think I'm racist, but we could be like racially insensitive and in the way that we talk and the way that we even talk to people or about people. Right. Uh, And that's painful. That can be painful.
2: And I think that when I heard that, I was just like, I think that is one of the silver linings of what came out of 2020 going into 2021. And, I think it's something that hopefully continues to go in that direction. And so I feel that we have a duty as us, like our generation of, you know, 30 somethings is that our kids are going to be, and our nieces and nephews are going to be in a much more inclusive world, but also we need to be the ones that kind of help them navigate that. I think that's a responsibility on all of us because it's, for as divisive as our society seems, I think we're a lot more aligned than we realize. We just don't talk.
0: I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I was saying that like a person is smart, but people are mm-hmm. stupid. Yes. Right? Yes. You can have good one-on-one interactions with people, but then you get mm-hmm. into a group. There's just like, there's groupthink. There's all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. where like you're saying, like I think a lot of us, if you can get one-on-one, you'd find mm-hmm. that you have a lot more in common than you do different. Yeah. 100% agree with you, Steve. Um, I think that's
2: kind of where I've, I've tried to realize, like, you know, that's, that's my goal now, like, to, to these kids that are growing up that are like in high school. So one of the things aside from the HIV stuff that I'm passionate about, the other thing is that I do, I do two things. One is I mentor high school students in, undeserving, not undeserving, that's really bad. I mean, unrepresentative areas um, and low-income areas and kind of give them a perspective like, hey, like it's, yeah, it, it sucks. Like I'm not gonna say that it doesn't suck that you don't have resources, but like you can make the best of a situation. And I think Steve, you said this, that even though that the situation isn't great, your response and your attitude to it can change a lot of how you do it. So that's one thing. And then the other thing that I'm pretty passionate about is that I try to take one day out of the month. And I would encourage everyone who listens to this, find find a community that you are passionate about, whether that's animals, whether that's elderly, whether that's um, food banks, whatever it is. But I try to take one day out of the month and go spend four hours volunteering somewhere that I feel needs to be done. And I, I I can tell you that that's changed a lot of the ways that I go about my day-to-day because it's like, oh, I don't want to spend my Saturday four hours doing this, right? Like, you know, after a full week of work and everything, you're like, I don't want to spend get up again at 7 a.m. and go do this. But it changes, it, I promise you, and I encourage and I challenge all of you all just to go find something and go do it, even if it's once every couple months. Uh, I think it changes a lot more it'll bring a lot more good into your into your thinking and into your life that way that's awesome i agree
1: so tell us about i mean we've been
2: talking a little
1: bit about throughout but tell us (laughs) about your passions
2: so yeah so i think the two passions that that's the first one is going back to hiv like i i really want to be on that team that cures this thing like i it's a lofty goal. Like I, I understand that there's a, there's a high chance of failure. Like I'm not naive to that, but I think it's, I think we're so close. Like, I just think we're so close. And, um, I've seen firsthand what it's done to communities in West Africa. I've seen firsthand what it's done to communities in San Francisco. I've been lucky enough to talk to patients that are, you know, surviving, uh, being, it's not a death sentence anymore, but to get it to a point where it's a, it's another, it's like heart disease would be incredible. That's definitely one. Uh, Two, trying to get myself into a community to help uh, underrepresented or, um, you know, students that may or may not have a way out or they feel that they don't have a way out uh, just to kind of be that bridge and be like, hey, like, yeah, I grew up in Utah, but the challenges that you're facing are no different than the challenges that I'm facing. Like it's, you know, there are, things that are very similar.
0: So what is um, the, what do you do there? Like you're working with these students. How do you do that? Are you going to the high school? Or are you, yeah. how often are you doing that?
2: So pre pandemic, I was going twice a month uh, on my lunch break. Um, it, it was a uh, high school down, down the street from work. Uh, and so if to give people a little bit of background, if you know anything about the economics of San Francisco, there's no middle class. You're either doing extremely, extremely well. Or you're trying to make ends meet. And then there's that small, small little piece, sliver, that are not living paycheck to paycheck, but they're not doing extremely well. Like they're just there. Um, and so where Stanford University is is in a city called Palo Alto, right? Like I, I think that's pretty well known. Phenomenal school, right? Everywhere around it, it's booming, you know, rents like four or five K a month, which is insanity and nice. not needed so that's Palo Alto where Stanford is. So if you go across the way to East Palo Alto, that is, you're essentially seeing the wage gap happen in real life. You're seeing the wealthiest of the wealthiest, and you're seeing the people that are just struggling to get by. So it's a high school in East Palo Alto that I go, and essentially what we do is they have a STEM a STEM group. So people that are part of uh, a STEM group, a STEM corporation or something of that nature, you know, whether it's Google, Facebook or um, Gilead or any of the farmers that are out here and they take people from there and be like, how did you get to where you get to uh, what insight can you provide? And two is what do you do when you run into those roadblocks, right? Like, are these people running into roadblocks of not making grades? So we get progress reports of these kids. How can we help them? And then kind of try to show them, you know, techniques or how to write a resume, how to apply for jobs. Um, is there an internship at a company that they don't know about because they don't have access? Can we get them into an internship at that said company because we work for that company? Um, so trying to just give, give them that advantage that they may not have just because of where they live, not necessarily because they're not intelligent enough
0: or qualified enough. It's more about access to opportunity rather than being capable of opportunity, I think the word you used that I liked the best was access. Like you're providing access to opportunities that they may not recognize, and so I, I love that. I that's really cool. That, that's a really, really commendable thing to be able to just be helping these high school kids. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't know if
2: it's working, but they called me back, so I've got to be doing something right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's making more of a more of an impact than you think. But yeah, so those are kind of the passions outside of, you know, obviously my family and I'm still a sports junkie. Um, Gonzo, if you ever want to talk politics, feel free to hit me up on the side. I'd be more than happy to delve into Yeah, I mean,
1: I think after every other podcast or so, I go on a little rant. <laughs> and and Bonnie's like you gotta you gotta find a better outlet. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll get you back and forth. We'll we have through. dozens of people listening to this. <laughs> so it, what was it? Um, it was with oh with the uh, with Shreve with Bryson Shreve. Mm-hmm. Like he just he, all he did is dangle out like a little talk about immigration. He and I think I like went out for like I just went off for like five minutes. You're just like. <laughs> Waiting, waiting. And then, yeah. I, I just got all this pent up like <laughs> political <Yeah>. talk. <laughs> we'll do a um, bonus
0: episode of just political talk. Yeah, the, zero starting listens. Starting yeah. <laughs> zero downloads all the way across.
1: Hamza, uh, um, um, do, we, do we have any beef? Or do you have any beef with Mandy that you want to like?
2: Okay, so this is a story with Mandy. <laughs> um, for the record, I do... I have the utmost respect for Mandy. Um, her her son and she I She doesn't listen. Don't, don't worry about it. She
0: know <laughs> so well that I listen. Um,
2: but anyway, so I. You know how the whole thing about prom or any dance, right? You ask a certain way. Yeah. And then they respond in a certain way. So the way that I have asked is that I got a couple day old bananas with the help of Megan Gorinch and we laminated my name and a bunch of other alphabet letters and moldy bananas and she had to dig through and find them. Pretty pretty small, pretty trivial, whatever, right? Like it's not not yeah. too bad. And your hands get dirty, but nothing crazy. So maybe ten days, twelve days before prom, I'm at lacrosse practice. Jerem had the same thing happen to him because we had to do it together. And our coaches just one day after stretches just be like, Hamza, Jerem, get to the get to the line. And we're like, what? For what? They're like, you guys were dogging it on the warm-up lap. I'm like we weren't, but okay, sure. Like, you know, you just, you just don't like, you, yeah. you just do what you got to do. Right. Like, so we get on the warm off lap for the next 40 minutes of that practice. We ran sprints, pushups, carried logs, and then ran sprints again. And Jeremy and I were done. Like, I just remember, I was like, I don't want to practice anymore. I hate everyone. <laughs> and I'm laying on my back and then Mandy comes and Jeremy, I think went with Megan gorge and they're like, yes, we say yes to prom to you guys. And I was like, I hate both of you. I don't want to take, I, I hope neither of us show up the <laughs> So that, that's the beef with her. Um, the other ones with Austin Robinson. So you guys remember Austin being the six, six giant, right? Yeah, like he's yeah. not small tonight. And, uh, yeah. I'm not sure if you remember Melissa Kim as well. So all three of us drove the same car. We drove a 1986 Toyota Camry. All three of us had different colors, but we all drove the same car. Austin found out that his key starts my car. (laughs) So I would get, he was notoriously late to every every class. Um, I would obviously get there early for student government and, you know, sometimes the assemblies and whatnot. Uh, I would get in there and then I'd walk out of school and my car wasn't there. And I see Austin just, like, walking behind me and going into his car where my car was supposed to be parked. And like, and I'm sitting there for, like, 10, 15 minutes trying to find it. He's waiting, just cackling in his car and then asking, like, hey, do you need a ride to your car? And he'd park it, like, down Beat Digger Boulevard. (laughs) like, (laughs) like, Like, why? He was, I needed a parking spot. I was running late again. And, like, if I got another late tardy, I'd have to be, like, benched for the first half of the game or something random and so those two things yeah I'll, I'll always remember those so then once we did it to melissa came too so apologies melissa that we moved her, um, <laughs> uh, worth it you move <laughs> man Toyota, I it was it.
1: get it together
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, i knew those saturn
1: it. i knew the saturn keys were like almost like universal keys like a saturn would like fit into any other Saturn and open the doors and stuff.
0: I swear there was someone that had, like, a ski rack key that would open someone's door to their car. Whoever wow. that is, give us, give us a voice memo if that was you. I don't remember, but someone had the, the ski rack key, but that that's hilarious that Austin would do that to you. I love that.
2: Consistently. Like, this wasn't, like, a once every... This was, like, two or three times a month. Anytime we had an assembly, you know, we'd have to be there at 6 a.m., right? So, you'd like... To, yeah, set up or whatever.
0: Yeah,
2: we'd always get prime parking, and then walking, I'd walk in and be like, "Mother," I was just like, "I."
0: That's so. Funny. And then I'd like,
2: it's not like I could like hit Austin because Austin's like a giant, and so like,
0: you just like hold your forehead and push you away. Like, yeah, and, you then just, like, you. <laughs> and I was like this, this, this bloody guy. But that's funny. I've always,
1: I mean, we weren't close, but I've always wondered about you. And I was, I mean, I like. I've always hoped, like, I hope is okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> or, like, you know, it's just, like, I hope, like, I and you're, like, obviously, like, doing amazing, but it's just, like, I, I, even, even during high school, I remember during, like, mm-hmm. 9-11 and during Muslim hate, I was, like, ah, oh, I hope, like, he's not getting grief. Like, and you were a really popular guy, and, like, just like you said, it it was seldom and uh, mm-hmm. far and few in between, but,
2: so, I don't know.
1: I'm just so, no, I, I, I was really happy. I'm happy
2: to talk to you. Likewise. No, like when I first, like I, I, the first podcast I listened to was, I think Steve was interviewing you and like vice versa, like both of your stories and just hearing what both of you went through individually, you would have never thought that with the way you guys carried yourself. Uh, I, I always remember you guys, you know, laughing and joking and Dodgeball was always a menace because I remember I got you out once in team sports, Gonzo, and then Gus hit me in the back of the head with the ball. <laughs> <laughs> i was like, this fool still has his buddy's back, like <laughs> for him, he still get his boy back. Um, and Gus has got an arm. That dude has got an arm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Gus has always he's always been looking out for me, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> um, But but what I mean to say is that. You both had a very strong ability to always have a smile on your guys' face, and I think how that affected myself. Even though, like you know, we weren't super close, but like I was like, "Hey, they're always happy that that makes me happy." But I know that that impacted others as well. So keep doing what you guys are doing because it seems like you guys are continuing to do that. Seventeen years later, so
0: oh, I think that's pretty.
1: cool. I, I mean, honestly, try, yeah,
0: yeah. Thanks, Hamza. That means a lot, and I think. It makes it easy when Gonzo's really funny, you know, to have a smile on your face, but I think you're right. It just, each of us have these experiences that none of us know, right? Um, Right. And I'm glad to hear that some people have had good experiences. It makes me sad when other people didn't have great experiences, and especially if I contributed to some of that. But I, I know for you specifically, you're one of the first people that Gonzo and I had kind of thought of, and then as these have gone on, we've had a few people say like, I'd love to hear from Hamza. And so I'm glad that we, that, that's why we you know, were able to reach out. And I'm glad that you took us up on the offer to come on. Cause it's been, what? it's been great. i I'd have a part two and a part three. If you ever wanted to. <laughs>
2: you, you guys let me know. I got, I got stories. I'll, I'll leave with this story. I know we're running a little over. I, so Steve, I don't know if you know this, but I almost got kicked out of being an SBO in November. Uh, and the reason was, is that we were playing Bingham in basketball, and you know those laser pointers that like came under your keychain? A friend who I will not name that was actually responsible for this took it and was shining it in behind my back, and you shining it like under my arm into the other players' eyes, or trying to, and the kid missed both free throws, and then we ended up winning by I think three or five, something like that. Anyway, the next day I go into Mr. Godfrey's office and he's like, Hamza, the vice principal of Bingham, reached out. And he said, there's a kid in a sweater that looked like you. And I was like, oh, yeah,
0: shocking.
2: (laughs) It didn't look like anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's like, he goes, do you have a laser pointer on your thing? And I was like, yeah. So he looked at my keys. Mr. Godfrey was very good to me. And he's like, you're going to need to write an apology letter. I was like, for what? He goes, you can't be having that type of behavior and representing the school. And I was like, okay. So I wrote this like haphazard letter. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll be better. Send it back in. And first period, second period, third period goes out. So it's almost the end of the day. Uh, I'm walking in the hall. Miss Richards, our principal at the time, pulls me in. And she said, this is not the level of apology that we expect from our student leaders and if you can't create a better copy in forty-eight hours, we will take you away from your SBO privileges. And I was like, dang, oh, interesting. So I wrote this flowery BS letter, like, oh, I'm so sorry, I should be better as a student representative, da 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 da. Signed my name like in hand, and then sent it off. Gave it to Miss Richards, and she's like, see, I knew it was in you. I knew you weren't that type oh, of kid. I was no. just like, <laughs> like, but yeah, that was the that was the three days where miss earl was also telling me like you can't it was like this like covert under thing where like mr godfrey miss richards and miss earl were all like you're about where you're about to be like the first sbo that's kicked out not because of grades and i was like okay
0: oh, I'll <laughs> but that was the end of it so
2: and
1: you didn't
0: even do it <laughs> and i didn't even do it did did gonzo ever take you out for dinner afterwards for, for getting you in trouble <laughs> like that
1: or I mean, you should have gotten it for it because I won the game for us, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? That's, that's, the key. that's, that's just kidding. It wasn't key. me. I know. <laughs> Gosh, that's crazy! I had no idea. Yeah, it
2: was. A, it was a fun seventy-two hours. It um, like Monday through Wednesday, and the, we had to. I had to send it off, and then yeah, it was. I, I just didn't think it was that serious,
0: but apparently it was. So if if Mister Godfrey or Miss Richards are listening sent in a voice memo. Uh, it wasn't Hamza. So I know Miss Earl listens, so
2: but I'm curious if he remembers.
0: Yeah, we'll see. We'll <laughs> we'll find out. That's a funny thing. Gosh. Well, thank you oh. for taking the time. We really appreciate you just taking time it out of your night to, to talk with us and it's been awesome. Yeah. Like that was I appreciate this. We'll look,
1: for, I oh, we'll look for your name in the news as soon as HIV is nah, cured, nah,
2: man. I'm just I'm just a, I'm just a part of the team. Magic There's is going to be game. holding you up.
1: Like, you did it. You did it, Hamsa. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a man can dream. A man can
1: dream. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so cool. He's
0: just like holding you like a little baby. Cradling
1: you. Like, you did it, Hamsa. You're so good. You're so good. You can do this. I believe in it. Oh, that's funny. Well, thank you. Take one of my rings. Yeah. <laughs> I got five of them, It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been so good talking to you. Um, Likewise, good catching you. up. Likewise, You okay. well. Take okay. care. You All have well. a good night. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Steve, we just got done talking to Hamza. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, uh, I have a lot of thoughts, and I even kind of told him. Like I was just fascinated. I was just listening and. I think it was just really interesting and eye-opening to just hear about his perspective and his experiences during that time because that's a huge moment for the people that are old enough to remember. You know, nine eleven was huge, but you're right, and I know that you've been looking forward to this interview because you wanted to ask him about those experiences. I did.
1: I remember as a kid, just even listening just to the news and seeing like Muslim businesses being vandalized and and I I knew Hamza was like a really popular kid in our high school and for the most part he like he just like he said he didn't get a lot of hate but he got a little bit here and there and I remember just thinking like I don't know and maybe because I being an immigrant and maybe one of the only Hispanic kids in my elementary school and then in the middle schools I kind of knew a little bit a little bit how it felt to be out an outsider and then all of a sudden a spotlight be put on that because you know you're muslim i I remember just like i hope he's okay i hope like i hope he's feeling okay and doing well and i maybe i should have reached out and been like but then I, i i didn't have the depth to even to do that as well yeah so
0: well, like, it sounds like he had a few things said to him, but overall he said it's positive. it was a very positive experience. And he so, had a great support and, yeah. and good, really good friends, too. And, so. and I think that goes back to how he tried to just be inclusive and he tried to be friendly and be uh, that kind of connector of people. And so, like, he talked about how he's still like that to this day. And I loved um, that he spends his time once a month going and finding some group something that's different to volunteer time but then also spending time with the high school kids that are in underserved areas and i just think so he's a mentor
1: like to underserved community and underserved youth and he's also
0: like spending time volunteering and helping his community and things he cares about it's awesome yeah and i think that you can you can tell a lot about a person by how they spend their time yeah like he shows his values by how he spends his time and he even said like do I want to go spend this four hours early on a Saturday doing this stuff that I don't? I mean, I could sleep in, whatever. But the fact that he does it and he does it consistently is awesome. That was that was a, a great
1: takeaway, and he and he challenges people. It's just like, like you'll you'll see actually, like you'll feel really great doing it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I challenge people to do it, spend you know four hours a month trying to volunteering on a, in a community that you feel passionate about. I thought that was great, and then the other thing that also jumped out at me, uh, from from our conversation, was like when he was talking about AP classes, and he was talking about how just like some of the the faculty were saying, "Oh, I didn't think I didn't think we'd see many people like you in this in this class or something like that," and how that kind of motivated him to like it's like, "Well, I'll show you," so like, <laughs> you know, um, I felt. I I felt like that when I was a missionary. Like I, and I mentioned this before, like when I turned 19, I was rejected. You know, I, my papers got sent back and they're like, we're not issuing calls. But then the, the church's policy regarding that changed. And when I was about to be 21, I got to go. But I went on my mission with the biggest chip on my shoulder. I was like, gonna be like the best mother effing missionary that this mission's ever seen <laughs> and i was gonna be like the definition of exact obedience and I, I actually loved my mission so much it was great but i did have this giant chip on my shoulder and i was uh, insufferable i think mm-hmm. at times because i was like no we have to be like obedient we have to do this and and probably if i were to do it again i'd take it a lot easier like i still work hard because i just like i liked working hard and I, i i liked being a missionary being i felt like worthwhile but i feel like some of the some of the other missionaries in the mission like i developed a bad reputation not like a a reputa- a reputation for working hard and for being obedient, but not a reputation for being a fun person. Yeah. And um, uh, but it was because of I I had something to prove, and it was like, I was gonna prove it to myself. I was gonna prove it to, the mission and the leaders, and even they didn't know anything about it. They didn't know my like history. And they didn't know that it was the the church felt like oh we can't because illegal immigrants or whatever or like. Uh, The the U.S. government was cracking down on them and they didn't want missionaries getting deported, you know, so that it was I mean, I'm not saying like bad or good for the policy. They changed it. And even actually when I was coming home, like two weeks before I was supposed to come home, a a kid got pulled out of the the airport and got deported, got sent to Mexico, like someone in pretty much the exact same position as me. And you know my mission president called and he was like, oh, don't fly home don't fly home <laughs> yeah so it's it, it, it was even a risky a risky scenario for the church to send illegal immigrants at that at that point when they did change it you know they they felt like they they needed to or or they that they could but it was still like it wasn't completely safe yeah. but yeah and so then when Hamza was saying like He was going into AB classes and he kind of had a chip on his shoulder like, you know, it's like, I'll show you that I do belong here. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I actually, I can relate to that.
0: I love that he brought up diversity and he talked about like having conversations with people that are different than you. And he said, you know, I've been able to be live in different places around the world and meet a lot of people that are different than me. And it makes me think, there's this guy I listen to, his name is Ed Milet. He does these awesome podcasts every week. Um, But one time he put out this episode that was all about diversity. And it was all about, find somebody that believes something different than you. Like, if you're super, super conservative, go out to lunch with somebody who's very liberal and just learn from them. If you are an atheist, go talk to somebody who's a Muslim or a Christian or uh, anything. Go learn something different than the way you believe. And he's like, and he just talked about like that's the that's one of the best ways that you can spice up your life. And that was the whole point. Like diversity makes your life more spicy in a good way. Like you should be learning things because you know what? Someone might teach you something. You know, you go into this and and I love how he said it guns. You want to talk politics anytime, I'll talk to you. And I know you would talk politics with anybody, but I just it made me immediately think of that, you know, talk to people who are different than you and have different thoughts and have an open mind because just by doing that it, it I think Hamza said it makes life more exciting. Yeah. I think that's what he said. But yeah, just talking to people that different than us it it just adds deeper levels of satisfaction I think to life and it forces you to think because you might you might actually change your mind. And I think no. that that's a and great. And even place if to you be. don't
1: it makes you smart. Yeah. I think I think talking to people from different that have different points of view makes you smart. It either, you know, you either will change or you will understand yourself and your positions better.
0: Yeah. 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 So I, I, I think you and I could probably keep talking just as long as his whole interview was. I know, man. It, um, it was, it was great. great. And
1: this is, sorry guys, this is the longest episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, maybe we'll do like a part two with Hamza if he's up for it. That, yeah. was, that was great. Yeah. Got to hear from Hamza every six months.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> If you'd like to be on the show, uh, just send us an email, jordanhigh 2004 podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, our phone number is still the same. They've been the same for a long time.
1: Mine's um, changed, but it's been the same for like nine years or so. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if you have it, it's a good number. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Probably. But uh, we, we love talking to everybody and uh, we're still working toward that September 4th half marathon. Reach yeah. out if you want to be on. Hey. Bye. Bye.